Our most gracious God, may Your Word penetrate deeply within our hearts. May You, O God, unveil to us the truth of Your redeeming love so that we would be new and different people. So that we would glorify Christ with our lives. Lord, we long for the day of Your return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. So part of the challenge of living in today's world is dealing with today's people. And part of the challenge of dealing with today's people is dealing with our own personal failures and our own personal shame and the places where we feel as though we have failed in life. And many of those feelings of failure and part of that shame come from our struggle to learn how to be loved. And I think that's an important distinction that we want to make this morning that our Scriptures will teach us. And it's the distinction between not trying to find love, but the ability to be loved. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school class this morning, and we talked about it, or I spoke about it with a friend over the last several weeks about how do we really know what it is to love God. And I think the only way that we can really truly know what it is to love God is to know what it is to be loved by God. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, and I know it sounds like, how do you do that? And the only way that you can do it is knowing what God has done for you and what God has done to you and what God has done for you. And as you and I learn by faith to rest in those truths, we learn what it means to be loved by God and therefore to be a people of love. In our study of the book of Romans, we have gone through the means of justification by faith and faith alone, that we stand before the throne of God even now in this very moment with God's presence within our building right now with us, resting upon that promise of wherever two or more are gathered in His name, He is there with us also, that we have this objective reality beyond what we might feel, beyond what we might think, that there's this incredible spiritual mystery but yet a reality that is happening in this very second that this room is endued and empowered and filled completely with the Spirit of God amongst His people and knowing that He is present with you and I right now. That we don't have to go far away. We don't have to look through the ceiling. We don't have to look out the windows. We don't have to look to one another We only have to understand He is here. And we are to look here. And that has occurred only by that which Christ has done on our behalf through justification appropriated by our belief that that is true. Paul now in this fifth chapter 
is going to make a transition from the justification by faith and faith alone into what the fruit of that justification looks like. And here in these first few verses this morning, we want to look at how that justification has removed from you and I our failures and our shame to be able to live in a present day relationship with God without shame and without an inappropriate fear that would keep us from enjoying our relationship with God. I don't know of any other time in my six decades of life where I've seen the world more ashamed of itself and trying to cover itself up with more fig leaves than even now. All you have to do is spend an hour or two watching the television and you will see commercial after commercial about how you can get a new fig leaf to make you look younger, prettier, to make you richer and more wealthy, to make you feel like you have self-esteem, to make you think that you belong here, to make you think that life can't be satisfied without worldly means and worldly wisdom and worldly gifts upon yourself and behaving like the world. And with each effort that we do to try to be more worldly, we fall deeper and deeper into a shame. And that shame then causes us to cover ourselves up more and more with the world's fig leaves, not understanding that our real wardrobe is the wardrobe of Christ. And so what happens is, is in that shame, we begin to become bitter. And as we become bitter, we begin to grumble. As we begin to grumble, we begin to criticize. And then all of a sudden we go from constructive criticism into destructive criticism and we learn not to live in unity with one another but we learn to live in tension with one another praying to God that no one sees through our fig leaves it's so much easier for us to begin to point the finger at someone else to distract from our own shame but Christ calls us to live a different way Christ calls us to walk away from complaining and grumbling and critical hearts into encouraging and singing psalms to one another and hymns and holy words and building one another up. But how can we do that if we still live in our own failures? Well, I just want to give two points this morning of teaching that the Word of God gives us on how do we do that. One is we realize a timely rescue and redemption from our Lord. I want to actually go back to verse 5 in chapter 5 and set it in context what we studied this morning. And Paul, you remember we studied this last week. He says, hope does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we set this in context, I want you to see a couple of things in that fifth verse there. That every verb in there is a perfect past tense verb. As though it has happened to you and I. And it will be our condition forever. 
It is not something that's in the future. It's not something that we hold on to, but it is a declaration of the imputed righteousness of Christ upon you and I that by that declaration and by that imputation, you and I understand it as being truly fulfilled by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as a seal of God's love and approval on us forever. We are marked at the time of redemption as God's people. Never to be unmarked. And no one can erase that which God has marked. And by that, God says, I have removed through redemption and justification your shame and your failures and have imputed or given or accounted to you my son's successes and my son's righteousness. And they are now yours. And that is the big fruit of justification by faith in what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf and on mine. How did that happen? Paul goes on to explain in verse 6, it happened this way. That while you were still weak, just at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Better translation, that actually comes out of the New American Standard from the Greek. It's why you were still helpless. Why you had no ability. Christ died for you. You know, I think that's probably one of the big struggles that many of us in Western Christianity have. Especially in the American culture, in the American church is that we really don't believe we were that bad in the beginning. We really think that there was something unique about us that made us good, that God took notice of us because He had a warm place in His heart. That we didn't really need the whole entire cross to save us. We just needed a little couple of the splinters. That it wasn't the full amount of the blood of Christ that would be poured out upon us but just a few drops, because after all, we're Americans. After all, we've been going to church most of our lives. After all, many of us vote politically correct. And after all, we're mostly the smartest people that we know. And then, of course, there's the opposite side of that pole that is, after all, how could God ever love me? After all, I know I don't have any kind of attributes about myself that God would want to take notice of. But you see, that's the same argument. The humble Harry and the proud Paul, they have the same argument at the end of the day. Jesus really didn't have to spend it all for me. Jesus didn't really have to die for me completely because there's something within me that made me attractive to Him to do that. My friends, my brothers and my sisters, nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible clearly teaches you and me, that we were enemies. 
that we were at enmity with God. We weren't nice. We weren't good people. We were warriors of hell against the cross of Christ. We were the very antithesis of all that God is. If God is life, and if God is living, and God is the source of all life, how could we be more antithetical than death? It was while we were at war and while we were at war in death that Christ died. It wasn't when you got your act together. It wasn't when you were good. It wasn't when you took notice of Him. It wasn't anything attractive about you. It wasn't because of your political affiliation. It wasn't because of your money. It wasn't because of the letters behind your name. It wasn't because of what street you grew up on. It wasn't because of how you look in the mirror or how you don't look in the mirror. It was because while you and I were helpless, without ability, Christ died for you. It was a timely death. Just at the right time. Just at the right time in your own life, God revealed to you that He died for you. That there's no accident. There's no serendipitous moment that you happen to occur upon. But it is the providential will of God that you and I would know that at the right time in history, He sent His Son for the right person, you, to die for you while you still hated Him. And He took the lashes He took the crown of thorns. He took the nails. And He took the shame of being naked and spread eagle on a piece of wood and lifted up for the whole world to spit upon so that you and I would be without shame. While we were yet helpless, while we were yet weak at the right time, Christ died not for the godly, not for the good, but for the ungodly. If you don't know that you are going to hell without Christ, then you do not know the Gospel. If you do not know that you are going to hell except for the death of Christ on your behalf, you do not know the Gospel. Because it was a timely rescue that God provided for you and for me and the world that it might be a timely redemption. Paul goes further to explain in verse 7, Scarcely will one die for the righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare to even die. But look at this. God shows His love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See what Paul's saying? He's just repeating what Jesus said. 
You say you love those who love you. That's not hard. He tells us to love your enemy. It's not hard to get in a group of people where you all have the same affinity for one another and just keep building one another up in that group. And it becomes a circular kind of affirmation society where we all agree that whatever our agenda is is what our agenda is. But Jesus calls us out of that. He calls us into a different relationship. Because while our agenda was to be his enemy, he died for us and loved us as enemies so that we would become friends. What motivated that? Why would we be timely redeemed? Why would God want reconciliation? It's right there in verse 8. But God showed His love. So many of us think that God is still angry. So many of us think that God has got a list of all the reasons in the world why He would reject us. Some of us can't even rest in our relationship with God because we think He's going to reject us. Some of us think that God is mad at us most of the time because we screw up most of the time. Some of us somehow think if we don't do everything right, that God is going to think that there's everything wrong with us. You, you can't do everything right. There's more wrong with you than you could ever imagine. <laughs> Pastor and author Jack Miller said this great saying that stuck with me for a long, long time and maybe it will stick with you. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. But cheer up because God's grace is greater than you think. You see, the whole reason that Jesus came to die was motivated by one emotion. God's love for you. Not His anger towards you. Why would He send His Son in anger to die for those who were sinners? Does it not begin to get into our hearts and get into our heads at some moment that we realize that the whole point of Calvary is for God to display His love for you and for me? And Jesus didn't die just to make you and I good. But He died to make us His. Why we were still sinners... God showed His love for us, His enemies. By sealing us with the Holy Spirit to remove our shame while we were shamefully attacking God with death and an agenda 
of death. But God in the middle of that war shows His love and sends Christ to die. And then Paul says, here's the outcome of that. Understand this. That not only has God had a timely rescue and redemption, but God's reconciliation is timeless. Look with me at verse 9. Since therefore we now have been justified. Perfect past tense verb. As though it has already happened and will never be taken away again. Since we have been justified. Since we have been set free. By His blood. How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? When God's love for me is displayed in the lashing of Christ His Son, in the pouring out of all of the deluge of His stored up anger for all sin from all time, from all corruption, from all ugliness, from all gossip, from all murmuring, from all raping and murdering and pillage and plundering, from all of that and all that is corrupt and destructive and all that is decaying and rotten and smelly and stinking about death. He poured it out on Christ that I might know what it is to live and to be His. How can that ever be taken away? What father would do that to his son only to someday say, I take it back? If he would, if he could, the death of Christ was pointless. But praise be to God. Paul continues on. We've been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved through Him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. We were brought back together. We who were enemies, we who were the antithesis, we who were so far away from God by the blood of Christ, we were brought into intimacy To be face to face with God in intimacy once and for all and forever. To be reconciled. To be more than just slavish servants. To be more than failures. To be more than just mess ups. But to be sons and daughters and friends of the living God. 
Christ did this for you and me, poured it out upon us. And I want you to know that this is a present tense type of verb. I'm sorry, future tense type of verb that says this reconciliation is always being poured forth to us. That the fruit of our justification is to be immersed, to be submerged, to be lavished, as Apostle John would put it, in the love and the reconciliation of God. It will never stop flowing the healing waters of the Spirit over us. That is why if you belong to Christ, you never need to worry that the grace of Christ will lead you into sin. Because the ever-flowing love of the Holy Spirit will continue to convict you and I of our sin and draw us deeply into repentance quickly. You never need to be afraid that the love of God is going to lead you into license. You never need to know that the freedom of God would ever lead you back into the chains of hell. For the Son finished the work of receiving the wrath of God to open up the gates of heaven. God's rescue and God's redemption was for the purpose of our reconciliation with the Father. Now and forevermore. More than that. It's like saying you won the lottery. It was $100 million. But more than that, beyond that, over the top of that, way further than you could have ever imagined, we rejoice with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received that reconciliation. Here's what the Spirit's saying. Here's what the Word of God is saying. is more than everything that you just received from Christ, you also receive His joy. You also have the ability to have the same joy that Christ has. You remember what Paul says in Philippians? For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the shame of the cross. That joy that was set before Him was the glory of being eternally in joy with you and I. That's the point of the cross. To be reconciled and to know joy. To be reconciled and to know shalom, to know peace. To be reconciled and to know relationship. To be reconciled and to be free from the entanglement of fig leaves from this world that would cause us to bite and to devour one another, to murder one another, either in truth, in reality, or out in a parking lot, or around a corner, or over the phone, or across from the kitchen table, or in a restaurant, or with a gun, or with means of war, to turn from that. And to begin to understand, we are reconciled not only to God, but we are also reconciled one to another. 
This is what transforms our faith into freedom and gives us a freedom to live in this present day. Free from fear. Free from shame. And free from anxiety. How do we step into this? Number one, begin to sing the new song of redemption. If I could, let me turn back to Zephaniah 3.17. Many of you are familiar with this verse. It would be great for us to hear it again. The Lord your God is in your midst. As we said this morning, God is with us. God is here now. The Spirit of God is with His people, amongst His people, within His people, and around His people. He is the mighty, again the NS gets it a little better, this one says the mighty one, but the NS says he is the mighty warrior who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. What, a, what an amazing, what an amazing promise that in Christ, because of Christ, at this very moment, God is rejoicing over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. And He will exalt you with loud singing. Exalt over you with loud singing. That God right now is singing the song of redemption over you. The song of restoration. He's not singing the song over your failures. He's not singing the song over your sin. He's not rejoicing over your failures. Don't get me wrong. He's rejoicing over you, His beloved. When you begin to understand that, you can begin to walk away from your failures. You can begin to walk away from your sin. You can begin to live a new and different life when you realize, my goodness, I'm really, really, really loved. This could change your life. I'm telling you, folks, it can, it can change our lives. It can transform us. We can be new. And after all, isn't that what being born again is about? A new birth with a new song that doesn't come into the world crying and screaming out of shock and pain and nakedness and shame, but enters into glory with songs of rejoicing and joy and happiness, fully clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, in the warmth of God's love, in the presence of His glory. We must begin to harmonize with that song because that's the song that God is singing currently, presently, over you and I right now and in this moment. It's the song of redemption. It's the song of reconciliation. If you listen closely right now, you might even begin to hear it. Second, we must walk away from the clothing, as Paul would put it later, take off. That which is our shame, which is our sin, which is our sinful way of living. And put on the new living of Christ's wardrobe. 
It's time for all of us to step into that robe that Christ has put on our shoulders. Maybe to put our arms in the sleeves. To pull it and wrap it tight around us. To take that belt of truth and hold it tight. And believe by faith that Jesus has covered me. We have a whole new garment that belongs to Christ but has been given to us for us to wear. We should model it. We should go out into the world as a great runway. Show them what we got. And then third, elevate Christ. I talked about this last week. We must elevate Christ above ourselves. What does that mean? What does that look like? That I believe I'm able to live in the glory and the righteousness of Christ more than I believe that I have to live in the shame and the covering of my shame by my own means. That I believe what Jesus has done for me is more true than what I could ever do for myself. That I believe what has been purchased for me by His blood is much larger and bigger than I could have ever imagined. And that I believe that He's done exactly the same thing for everyone who calls upon His name. And therefore, I believe we are His. To live in boldness and in grace and in joy, and in truth, and in unity, and in love with one another. For He has reconciled us to live free from the bondage of hell and into the freedom of the fields of grace that He has provided. We must elevate Christ in that. Close with a story that I read not long ago, reread not long ago, out of Phil Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He actually takes a quote out of Simon Wiesenthal. Many of you will know that name, a famous uh, persecutor of Nazi Germany who, who chased down a lot of the generals and the criminals of World War II to make sure that they were brought to rightful justice. Wiesenthal tells of a story, though, in his book called Sunflower of while he was in a concentration camp, he was called as a young Jewish man into a hospital room of a dying German soldier, Nazi soldier. They didn't know one another, but the soldier knew that Wiesenthal was Jewish. And he wanted to confess his sins to him and tell him all the horrific things he had done to the Jewish people during the war. How some he had burned alive and some children he had shot intentionally that he was on an agenda of destruction and death and that he had been an enemy to the Jewish people. He didn't know why he had done it. It was just who he was. But on his deathbed, he had come to the conviction that it was wrong. 
And he said to Wiesenthal, Please forgive me. I know I'm your enemy, but please forgive me. Wiesenthal says he goes to the window and he thinks and feels the weight of all the Jewish people and all the victims of World War II upon his shoulders. And he quietly turns around and walks out of the room. Jesus didn't walk out of the room. But He came to your bedside as we were dying and in death and to mine. And if we ask, Lord, forgive us. Jesus will not walk out of the room. But will pour out the glory of redemption and reconciliation upon you like you've never known. And He will take away your shame and all of your guilt. He will remove you from those things that capture you on a computer screen. He will remove you from the addictions that you might have to the world. Oh, it'll take work. It'll take time. But He'll do it. He will reconcile the worst relationship that you have. He will bring healing to a wounded heart that needed to know that it was loved. He will take you up and sit you at the throne with Him. Some of you maybe this morning need to ask that. Maybe there's one or two, three or four in here today that have never asked Christ and acknowledged, Christ, I'm your enemy. I have been indifferent towards you. I have showed you the highest form of hate that there is called indifference. I have been lukewarm towards you. Worst yet, Lord, I've lived as a, with a Christian moniker around my name and I've never stepped into your reconciliation. I've kept it at bay so I could still live by my own wisdom in my own worldly ways. Lord Christ, forgive me. just want to take ten seconds. That if that represents where you are, you don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to stand up. You don't need to do anything except where you are. Bow your head. Close your eyes. And ask Christ to forgive you. Let's pray. Lord Christ, forgive us all in ways that we have lived out of our own shame, out of our anger. Forgive us, Lord, from for trying to manipulate our own means of life. Forgive us, Lord, for the things that we have said about one another, 
Forgive us, Lord, in the ways that we've ignored Your commandments. Forgive us, Lord, in the way that we have loved lesser gods. Forgive us, Lord, and give us the strength to walk away from the old clothing that we were once identified by into our new clothing, the wardrobe of Your righteousness. And for those of us, God, who may be a step or two on that journey, encourage us, Lord, with the surely the sure truth that You will never leave and You will never abandon and that You have begun a good work in us and You will see it through to completion. And that nothing, no, not even myself, can ever separate me from Your love. For when You said it is finished and it is done, it is finished. Praise God for the Gospel. Amen.
God's love immerse you and surround you, hold you, to know that you are reconciled to Him, that He has redeemed you to make you His. And may it all be glory to Christ His Son who has accomplished it for you and for me, knowing that we are sealed and indwelled and guaranteed with the Holy Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. We are a blessed people.